Well, Taiwan dodged a bullet after Tropical Storm Naogai continued on its westward path rather than turning north toward Taiwan. Still, its outer periphery has had a significant impact on the island, with mountainous regions of Ilan recording over 400 millimeters of rain in 24 hours. The Central Weather Bureau says the rain will continue into Wednesday and will be most pronounced in the period from Sunday to Tuesday, thanks to the combined effects of the storm and the northeast monsoon. Residents of mountainous regions in Taipei and New Taipei, the north coast and Ilan should brace for heavy rain. This entire road is no more. Much of it has slid down into the valley below. This is what remains of Route 7 between Mingchu Village and Baitao Bridge. A stretch of about 50 metres of road has been gutted. All this is due to the cloud system in the outer periphery of Tropical Storm Nalgai, which brought incessant rain to the northeastern regions of the island. The storm has passed Luzon Island and is now headed in a northwesterly direction. While weather warnings are not likely to be issued, torrential rain is still a threat. During the period from the evening of the 31st to the 1st, the storm will be closest to Taiwan. Tonight, the cloud system in the outer periphery will be more obvious. After it slowly moves away on Tuesday and Wednesday, it will still bring some moisture, which will likely bring localized heavy or torrential rains for the northern and eastern half of the island. The CWB predicts this precipitation will last all the way till Wednesday. From Sunday night till Tuesday, mountainous areas of Greater Taipei, the north coast and Yilanj could see torrential rain. On Wednesday, the rain will let up, but the windward side will still get rain, with cool temperatures all around. With the strengthening of the northeast monsoon tomorrow, the northern and eastern parts will be cool and even a bit cold all day, with lows of 20 degrees and highs of about 23 degrees. On Friday, the next wave of the northeast monsoon will start to affect us, bringing the temperature down. So the rain will continue and temperatures will remain at about 20 degrees. By the weekend, the next wave of the northeast monsoon will arrive. The public is advised to carry rain gear, as well as wear a jacket when heading outdoors. Tomorrow is Halloween and one mom has gone viral with a photo of her kids dressed in this year's best Halloween costume. Her two children are COVID rapid test panels with two red lines indicating the dreaded COVID positive. Netizens say the costumes are inspiring, but some protest that they're actually too horrifying. The pandemic has been severe, and when we see a rapid test, we all feel a bit afraid, thinking of the pain of taking a test. But you wouldn't expect a mom to turn a rapid test into a creative Halloween idea. The kids are sandwiched between two foam boards with small holes cut out to see through. English words and those two red lines are drawn on in marker. Each child carries a giant cotton swab. This terrifying COVID test costume was invented for a competition at a family restaurant. The mum didn't expect that this photo would ignite such a strong response online, where commenters are divided. Is this a genius idea or too scary? It's very creative, but it might scare people. Yeah, you might not get any candy, they might just run away. It's very special, it's very creative. The cotton swabs are gigantic. 
Some people make fun economical costumes, while others take the realistic route. This mom got a professional to paint her daughter's face with one half white like a skull, black eye sockets, red lips, and wild hair. It's an amazing recreation of the corpse bride. Taiwanese parents are getting more and more excited about Halloween costumes for their kids. Some dress up simply as princesses, and some really go to town with every detail. But these walking, talking COVID tests might just take the price this year. Some people continue to experience health problems after recovering from COVID-19. Besides the common long-term side effects such as coughing and fatigue, Doctors say that a COVID infection can also lead to severe bone loss. Our reporter Stephanie Yang visited the Taiwanese Osteoporosis Association to find out more. According to the Taiwan Centers for Disease Control, as of October 2022, more than 1.94 million people over the age of 50 in Taiwan have been infected with COVID. Taiwanese Osteoporosis Association President Wang Zaoshan says the long-term side effects of COVID not only include coughs and fatigue, but also decreased bone mass. Adults over 50 are more prone to weaker bones. In this COVID-infected some inflammation, uh, cytokine would induce the bone loss. COVID uh, symptom is a lot. It is one of the important issue. So we, the, well, our association is announced to get our COVID-infected people to take care about the bone condition. According to a new study by the Taiwanese Osteoporosis Association, nearly 50% of Taiwanese people have mobility problems after the pandemic. Huang says that COVID induces conditions related to osteoporosis, leading to weakened bones and a higher possibility of fractures. Usually, the age is important, especially the age over the 50 uh, have the osteoporosis risk, some have the early menopause. Some people took uh, some medicine would let the bone turnover higher, especially took the steroid and also diabetic patient. In this study, we found that uh, somebody got a COVID infection and then the turnover of the bone will get a little bit higher. So we announced that if you get the COVID infected, you need to test the density to know about the osteoporosis condition. We also found that a lot of people due to the COVID invaded uh, loss of the activity about the physical training. If the physical training is low, the fracture risk will increase. To help prevent bone loss, Huang suggests that people exercise regularly, ensure adequate vitamin intake, and get a frax bone checkup. We would recommend to use the frax. Uh, Frax is the international 10-year risk curator. You can key or search in the Google, FIX, and you can calculate the future 10 years risk. If the hip fracture risk is more than 3% and other major fracture risk is more than 20%, we recommend to adequate treatment. Huang recommends that people strengthen their bones by walking, running, hiking, or climbing stairs. Others can also do simple resistance workouts at home with resistance bands. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Li Han in Taipei.
Sunday recorded 31,500 COVID cases, 47 of which were imported. The number of COVID-related deaths stood at 76. There were 3,822 cases fewer than last Sunday, amounting to a drop of 10.8 percent. With cases trending downward over the past three consecutive weeks, the CECC is mulling more reductions in the quarantine period for COVID patients from the current seven days to five. Mask measures are also set to ease as early as next month. Let's hear from the head of CECC. If the downward trend continues, we can start discussing this matter in November. The way to carry it out is to implement it in stages. We have a lot of benchmarks for reference, but all this still needs to be discussed with experts. Li Jianzhang, an emergency room doctor at NTU Hospital, said that after the BA5 subvariant wave died down in Europe and the US, other subvariants continue to spread. He thinks authorities should wait until the daily case number falls below the 10,000 mark before considering relaxing mask measures. Even though the mausoleum for former presidents Chiang Kai-shek and Chiang Jing-guo was completed more than 17 years ago, the remains of the father and son have still not been interred at the new Taipei site. Instead, the two former leaders' remains are at separate locations in Taiwan with their fate in limbo. For their part, the Chiang's last requests were to be buried in China. But this has been difficult to realize, to say the least. Scholars and independence activists are now calling on the government to bury them in the mausoleum. They also pointed to the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall, which houses a large bronze statue of the older Chiang. They said transitional justice should be implemented without delay and that the hall should house a democratic organization. We believe that the Taiwanese government should clearly deal with the remains of the two Jiangs. They can be relocated to Wuzhou Mountain Military Cemetery and they can be given a place that gives them much respect, a special area. In addition, there's the bronze statue of Chiang Kai-shek and the Memorial Hall. We think the bronze statue must go. And then after this, we can keep the Memorial Hall building. After a few adjustments, we can convert it to a democratic agency or the legislative yuan. The Chiang Kai-shek Memorial Hall actually amounts to the deification of an individual. Of course its name needs to be changed. That's the most fundamental thing. This also applies to our national currency, our roads, anything that's got his name on it, along with images and bronze statues of him. I think these are all things that need to be changed little by little. The administration of pro-independence President Chen Shui-bian spent 31.42 million NT building the mausoleum devoted to the Changs. It was completed in 2005. However, the attitude of some members of the Chang family, along with complex political factors, have prevented the late president's remains from being relocated there. Li Chuan-sing, head of the pro-independence Taiwan Society, thinks that compared with spending nearly 50 million NT a year to maintain the empty mausoleum, it's much better to have the remains of the two Changs interred in it as soon as possible. He adds the two former presidents should be given a state funeral complete with 
courtesies such as lowering the flag at half staff. Today in our Spotlight series, let's meet two film directors, Nick Hayes and Adam Hayes. The brothers are film directors hailing from the UK and based in New York. In their latest project, they collaborated with Alexander King Chen, a Taiwanese-American fashion designer and film producer. Together, they shot three films in Taiwan and won several awards at international film festivals. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang caught up with the directors and find out about making fashion films and some behind-the-scenes stories of shooting in Taiwan. And turn white like a corpse, leaving blisters on my heart. This is a short film titled Kill Burn, directed by Nick and Adam Hayes. The film explores social media's impact on mental health in a near-future society. The film was shot at Lin Family Mansion and Garden in New Taipei and Feng Tian Temple in Taipei's Songsan District. The plot takes viewers on a journey of learning to love an imperfect reality rather than perfect virtual realities. It'll burn. We thought we'd put it into a virtual world to kind of show it, you know, make it more crazier, of course, but we'll put it into a virtual world. And when you when you step out of that only the real textures only the real things that matter will come to you and that's what life's all about the kill burn is the uh, was actually the, the second film we showed um, that film had a lot of different locations and a lot of them were like locations where they were out in the open and then we shot them at this time of year so it's raining season. so every time we tried to literally book a day We've had to cancel because the rain would yeah. come through, a typhoon would come through, and it would destroy all our plans. So we very nearly didn't shoot the final uh, uh, scene, which is uh, Fabio in the, in, in the actual um, what you call it uh, temple. Temple. In collaboration with Taiwanese-American fashion designer and producer Alexander King Chen, the directing duo created three fashion short films in Taipei. The film's music and costumes were created by Chen, while the films were directed and filmed by the Hayes. Kilburn won a multitude of awards at film festivals in many countries, including the Los Angeles Film Festival and the London Fashion Film Festival. A fashion film can't happen without a visionary designer and then filmmakers. So basically, you know, it relies upon the fashion designer and it relies upon the filmmakers, us. And, um, you know, we come together, we inspire each other. Alex has these incredible ideas of clothes and he has ideas of themes. And then we absorb those themes and those textures and those, you know, clothing designs. And we kind of generate a narrative through our filmmaking. The Hayes brothers are originally from London and based in New York. They both have over 22 years of experience in the creative industry. Nick and Adam started to work together in 2007, directing and shooting music videos, commercials, multi-content campaigns, and narrative-based films. The two have worked on fashion films for 15 years. They hope to create the world's first fashion film feature movie. Film is starting to become the most important medium in film. But we've written a, a full feature, right. and right now we're talking to a production company in Hollywood in bringing that to life. So we want Alex now and or everyone to collaborate together again and hopefully create the world's first fashion film feature.
which can would we, be amazing. Can we film a bit of it in Taiwan? Oh yeah, no, I, we could shoot half of it. We could shoot a lot. I think we could shoot 90%. Okay. The Hayes brothers say they hope to continue creating films that spread awareness of important social issues. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Huang Yinsen in Taipei. The fatal stampede in Seoul is already making waves in Taiwanese politics. On Sunday, the three leading Taipei mayoral candidates vowed to pay attention to exit routes and safety in public buildings, such as the Taipei Dome. The DPP's Chen Shizhong, KMT's Jiang Wan'an, and independent candidate Huang Shanshan also expressed their condolences. The mayor and the city government in future must pay special attention to this, especially as we now have the Taipei Dome, which has never been used. In the past, when people looked at the exit routes, they thought the building's interior was too narrow, along with other issues. I think we must apply the strictest standards when giving safety reviews and determining the maximum amount of people for any future public buildings. After the explosion at Formosa Fun Coast Water Park, the Taipei City government drew up guidelines for large-scale events and even drew up its own autonomous regulations. So we had already made relevant preparations long ago. Chen Shizhong also mentioned the scandal-ridden Far Glory, the main contractor that built the Taipei Dome, and said that the city government could not evade a safety review of the building. However, Taipei's mayor, Koenje, when asked if he was concerned about problems with the building's exit routes, said there were SOPs in place and that he had confidence in the Taipei Dome.